Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. We're going, we're continuing on a horror bent with the Class of 1999 series. And this is one of the more successful um, movies in the genre, both financially and creatively from that year. It's Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, and joining me to uh, discuss the movie is a filmmaker I've had on before. We've discussed The Matrix, we've discussed The Mummy, we've also discussed his own work, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by David Spaltro. Thank you very much for joining me. Hey man, it's always a pleasure. So one of the things that I really kind of love about Sleepy Hollow, it's probably been one of my favorite Tim Burton movies ever since it came out in 1999 is that it's something it's a movie that it fits well within the realm of the type of movies that he was making at the time you think about his batman movies you think about edward scissorhands and beetlejuice and then you think about stuff he did later like sweeney todd and dark shadows it very much fits in with the trajectory of the movie of his his uh, filmography but also it also is stands apart in it because of the fact that it's the only time that he's really done pure horror and i think that's that's one of the things that i really kind of love about it is that it feels like there's there's an affection for the genre and in particular uh the hammer horror films that is really it is really pre- prevalent throughout this entire movie, and it's it's one of the things I think I really love about this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, it really was one of the last few films he did that were sort of more original before he kind of went on a bent of doing more uh, random Tim Burton cover versions of re- yeah. remakes, <laughs> of, uh, which you know is is, is his thing now. But um, it is that the hammer horror aspect is something that like really, really, because I grew up with that. My father first introduced me to it. Uh, and the idea of, of horror films that were kind of made purely almost in a way for adults first and foremost, and that they, they had all the tricks and treats you find in like universal or other things, but they yeah. had a lot where there was a little, just a little bit more of like a sexual undertone, a psychological, they were soap opera, you know, devious things happening in the town, a, a recurring cast of uh, actors that were like, throughout all the different films. It just, it just felt like horror, like horror at a higher level. Yeah. People who wanted that kind of like, um, fully realized and developed, you know, meat. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I think that was the way that Burton was actually able to kind of do a horror film because while a lot of his stuff, you could say like, why, why hasn't he done more straight horror films? I think, I think he really enjoys sort of tap dancing in the macabre and sort of, you know, uh, the, the other realm of, of misfits and, and you know weirdness but i don't think I, I think he once said something about like real horror scares him yeah so i i think this was his way of kind of being able to do that yeah and uh i you know the thing is i had not been familiar with uh hammer horror before sleepy hollow but this this film you know reading the reviews at the time seeing people uh compared compared to hammer horror you know, bringing up the fact that Christopher Lee and Michael Go, who have who were who have roles in this movie, were part of the Hammer uh, series in the fifties and sixties, um, it definitely got me interested to the point where I will 
um, I, I gave it a chance uh, a couple years later when I really started to give, give horror another shot. And I really do love, uh, like, like you said, I mean, you know, we, we talked about the universal horror movies earlier when we, earlier this year, when we talked about the mummy, this, this film, you know, hammer, like you said, is, it is more attuned towards adults. It's, it's more vicious. You look at their versions of Dracula, you look at their versions of Frankenstein, you look at the different versions of um, the mummy even, and there is something, there is something a bit harder edged to horror. And the thing that I think I really love about it is that you've got the atmosphere, not to say Universal didn't have atmosphere, but it, it seems to be ramped up to 11 with Hammer. And in addition, you have these these narratives that are really character-driven as opposed to idea-driven, and that's one of the things that I really, really think that um, Tim Burton really brings to this movie because I, I love the fact that it's not just a telling retelling of the Headless Horseman I, and Washington Irving's story. There had to be more to it. And Absolutely. there's, you know, there's this whole world, this whole town. You feel like you come to know this whole town. And that's one of the things that I really love about it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think definitely being able to, if they not only did they open up the film, they avoided both doing a trunicated, like, oh my God, this is all there is, just a, a, a horseman that hunts people down, like, and kills every five minutes, or, uh, or over padding it to the point where there was no meat. They really sort of made it, I think one of the things that Hammer succeeded at doing, besides sort of elevating the horror with the more psychological stuff, is they they played up about how no matter what was the, the evil in the film, supernatural or whatnot, monster, that the people were, were in the town or the, the human beings were as bad, if not worse. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know what I mean? And I feel like, again, like that that's a big part of this film is too, is that like, you know, the secrets people keep, the conniving sort of jealousy those are the real monsters of those films and also of this, this film that they were able to translate really well. Yeah. I, I will say, I mean, if there's one thing about the story as a whole that just kind of doesn't really work for me, it's, it's, it's a familiar, it became a familiar trope with uh, Tim Burton um, where you have a, an idea you, you have Ichabod played by Johnny Depp in this role, having flashbacks to his mother and the, and, and, and the, the trauma that she um, dealt with and the trauma that he dealt with because of her, her death. And it's like, that's probably like the one thing. I mean, I understand it's to help humanize Ichabod to a certain degree, because the thing I like about Ichabod in this and the way that Depp performs him is that, he he brings a very scientific and rational um perceptive to these perception to these events compared to the citizens of Sleepy Hollow who are more driven by belief and superstition. And I think that 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 combination that that warring of those two ideas is really interesting in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm one. I'm really glad you brought that up, the, the the mother thing, because I also that is one of the things that kind of like really sticks out to me. in The film is not working, and for me, it really is because it doesn't quite stick the landing. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think the flashbacks are really well done, some nasty business, and I think it does 
gives some some more development to uh, to Ichabod as the film progresses. I just never think that it. I think the most it ties in is it's like he saw a symbol once because his mom was like a good witch or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I still don't know. It doesn't really. It didn't need to be there. They could have either just had it, or the way they connected it to the film could have been stronger. Um, but what you said also about the, the town and, and sort of how he brings science to the town and, and they're sort of more mystical and they're also sort of, it, it's very interesting because it was sort of like, I think the, the polarization in politics at the time, maybe it's too much in my head, uh, but I, it almost felt like you've got this crazy scientific coastal elite coming to like the rural area that he doesn't understand. Yeah. And, and, and there is that sort of like, well, you, you know, we're, we're very closed off and this is how we do things here. And he's got this and there's that immediate distrust and, and, and lack of understanding, even though they're what, maybe a couple, at that time period, maybe a couple hundred miles away from the mm-hmm. city to, you know, the wherever they are in, uh, in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. And it, you know, it's funny because of the fact that like this, this is basically set in the year 1799 or 1799 going into 1800 and like the movie came out in 1999 going to the year 2000. So it's like, obviously there's, they're trying to do some parallels as far as the, uh, it, it feels like they're trying to do some parallels to the time period that the movie came out. But at the same time, it's like, there's so much more going on. I, I like the fact that that's in the background and not necessarily, because at a certain point, Ichabod has to realize, recognize, and he does in the movie that's like, oh my god, they're actually telling the truth about this. There's a headless horseman, and every <laughs> and everybody's like, yes, we know, we we understand that. That's what we've been trying to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also another brilliant part of the film when we were talking about them sort of adapting it and expanding upon it is that they took basically with some like alterations, the, the Sleepy Hollow short story, and that is maybe the first act of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, when, when, when after that whole bit is done, and the, they do the whole great, you know, classic bridge scene, uh, when he realizes what it really is, it, 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 it's just, it's literally, that's the beginning of the film, and you get this whole other story, and I thought that was, that was handled really well. Yeah, and then you have the, uh, but before he actually meets the Headless Swordsman, you have that fake out where, the, it's just people from the town messing with him. Sure. And sure. Uh, so you have that you have that start, even though we we realize based on you know the flashbacks we've seen that the uh, the elders in the town um, tell him that it is in fact true because you know let's face it, it wouldn't be much of a movie if it weren't true. But at the same time, it's you. You've got this idea that he he has this. You you have to give him that moment of disbelief before, of real disbelief of oh well, it's like you know these these guys are trying to mess with me, and then before you lay it on, oh no, this is actually happening. You you need yeah. to open your mind to it and. And that's one of the things that I like about it. But one of the things that's also really interesting about the uh, the screenplay by uh, Andrew Kevin Walker and Kevin Yeager, the thing that I like about this is that they also bring in this larger conspiracy. And, I mean, you kind of have to because it is a short story. It is So there's only so much you would be able to do with it if you adhered to the story itself for 105 minutes 
You can't really do that. So you have to bring in more uh, dramatic weight. And like you said, there's really not much fat in what they do. And one of the thing and one of the things they do is they point to a larger conspiracy with regards to what's going on in the town up to leading up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think, I think what's, what's great about the, the way that they incorporate the, the whole town aspect as well is that, you know, uh, I'm losing my train of thought, uh, that he, once he accepts the supernatural, you know, like, uh, he also then has to kind of do another, more scientific investigation because it's not just supernatural. There are human hands behind, you know, what is going on. Right. And I think like he, so he becomes a believer, but it still doesn't turn off the analytical thing of like, okay, if I'm dealing with this, why is this happening? Why is it happening to these certain people? And I think that that is that still like what you're talking about, that great blend of um, science and, and superstition. Yeah. This is this is a movie that it it ended a run in the '90s between uh, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp that I think is probably the most satisfying that they've had as collaborators. I mean, they've worked together many many times since, but with this uh, being the culmination of with Edward Scissorhands and then Ed Wood, I I really like. I really like the way that they um, that this 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 sort of rounds out a trilogy of sort of misfits for Depp and um, Burton, and you really do kind of see you you really do kind of see um, the uh, you you see what connects these two uh, artists together, and it's really um, it's really entertaining to watch. Yeah, they found like a perfect symmetry that they they sort of elevated each other's game as well as completed it. Whereas now, you know, much like Tim Burton is sort of doing um, Tim Burton-esque cover versions of, of previous movies that have been made, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp's, what he did for Burton in the 90s, much more organically and much more realistically uh, creating these like very unique, living, breathing, pure characters, um, whether it was Ed Wood or, you know, uh, Edward Scissorhands, uh, now he sort of is just like, what's the weirdest costume and wig that I can like? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and which is fine. It's still, it's still, you know, to watch an actor just gonna go balls, much like Nicolas Cage does and everything. Yeah. Do, but but it felt more real and organic, and that Burton and Depp were both dreaming together and kind of pushing each other to 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 a sort of symmetry and greatness that is just. It's more it's like now it's just wacky dress up fun time, you know? Yeah. I mean, the only time they, I think the only time they really came close to matching what they did in the 90s afterwards was Sweeney Todd. And that's because yes. of yeah. the material that they had. I mean. Yeah. 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 That was, a, that was actually a perfect, that was a pretty good marriage of, of them as well. Yeah. And it's other, it's also the only other like sort of, kind of horror movie that they've done together too. And I, it, it's, it's really kind of, and it's before Depp doing all these wild characters really sort of became stale to a certain extent. And it's before their collaboration together really kind of hit a wall as far as creatively. And the thing is, and you, you talked about um, Burton sort of like doing his, versions of 
you know, existing of remakes and stuff like that. Man, it's so like I, one of the things that kind of occurred to me, like, is that if you really think about it, there are few. I mean, there are a lot of really terrific mo- Tim Burton movies. Don't get me wrong. To a certain extent, he is still my fa- one of my favorite filmmakers. But at the same time, it's like if you look at his larger body of work, he really has only done a handful of just truly genuinely original movies like yeah. it, that weren't based on, you know, people, individuals who weren't based on previous properties and stuff like that. I mean, really, you have Pee Wee's Big Adventure, you have Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. I mean, and even Pee Wee was... was was Paul Rubin's baby long before he got there. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he really, he, he, but I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is as much as he's a creative force and his, you know, his journals and, and the books he's released and the artwork he used to do, mm-hmm. he started out in Disney's animation, you know, crafting stuff for, you know, for hire. Yeah. So that, that might've also been his way of being able to like both channel his artistic impulses and his version of stuff, but like sort of be trained to kind of like find material that he could like infect in a way and like do, you know, his own version of. Oh yeah. I mean, you, you look at Frank and weenie, whether, you know, you're talking about the short or whether you're talking about the stop motion uh, feature they did later, where it's like, it's essentially a, that sort of like um, Edward Scissorhands is akin to Frankenstein. Yeah. And it's in, I mean, Frankenweenie, of course, is a very literal sort of interpretation of uh, the Frankenstein story, but with a boy and his dog. And yeah, it's like that's one of the things, but you also look at something like Vincent, they did, and it's, there is a real, you know, sense of originality to him. And it's like, it, it feels like as, as much as <sighs> it's, it, it's really such a, uh, it's so weird to think about um, Burton's career because of the fact that it's like, you almost, you almost wonder whether him being able to, him having the crave, the financial freedom of, and the success with something like, say, even the Batman movies, which I do really enjoy, is it kind of hurt him because of the fact that it's like then to a certain extent, then studios were able to go, Oh, Hey, um, you know, here, here's what we want to do. We want to do something kind of weird and wacky. We'll just do, we'll, we'll get Tim Burton to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to a certain extent, like his success in being able to do that with Batman and to a certain extent with uh, Sleepy Hollow, and then, you know, it it got to the point with the uh, Planet of the Apes reboot that the remake they did where it's like, okay, uh, yeah, I think we're just, I, I, I feel like we're um, sort of jumped the uh, shark to a certain extent as far as, um, as far as the type of the the material got less and less interesting the longer he went on to do it yeah and, and it, it, i mean that that that's one of the weirdest interceptions of many interceptions in film history because i think up until a few months before they got 
Burton to do that. I think it was supposed to be James Cameron. Yeah. Like, yeah, he had like, tried for a while with Schwarzenegger. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I mean, but I think, you, you know, it's funny because going back to Sleepy Hollow, you can also, as, as original and as, as interesting and as hammer as this film is, because it's still somewhat without with 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 some of the gore and ten, and and nasty bits in the film it's still a big studio film they're looking as like a tentpole film yeah uh all release uh there there are these weird moments that you can see him you know even though he did action in batman there is a very weird kung fu scythe fight with the headless horseman with ichabod crane yeah. and uh, that other actor which casper uh, van Dien. place so out of place. Like, yeah. I mean, like, I think that was, um, the Headless Horseman was played by Ray Park, who had done Darth Maul that year. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think there was a, a good year and a half where he was, like, every time they needed, like, an action stunt person to do, like, crazy flip sword fights, he was there. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he's brilliant. But it, of all the things he did, that this felt like the most randomly out of place that the Headless Horseman is doing, like, basically a kung fu fight. Right. Well, yeah, and I had forgotten that, uh, I... How, I can't believe I had forgotten that Ray Park played the headless horseman as, when he was headless. Because you know when we when we see him with his head in the flashbacks, it's of course the great Christopher Walken. Um, and dental uh, work. But yeah, it, yeah, it's that's man. I had completely forgotten that was Ray Park. But yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right because of Darth Maul, uh, because of the notoriety of that and this like and he had done um he would do uh what is it? Toad in yeah. in the x-men and uh yeah it's one of those things where it's like yeah that that fight is completely ridiculously hilarious because of it you're right it is absolutely out of place and it it is almost superfluous because of the fact that like Ichabod, you know, tells Casper Van Dien's character in it, it's like he's not coming for you. He's not trying to, you know, he, he's he's going. You know, you don't have to do this. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's yeah, it's it's something that's really um, it's something that's just really entertaining about uh, the movie and and just also kind of crazy in the way that they uh, structured it. Um, there's, I, I love, there's such a great cast here. I mean, we talked about Christopher Lee. We talked about, um, Michael Goh, who had already played Alfred in, um, Tim Burton's, uh, Batman movies. And then you have Christina Ricci as the, uh, sort of the young romantic interest, I guess you could say. Although, I mean, they don't really, there's, I mean, they end up together in the end, but at the same time, it's not really very platonic kind yeah of the, yeah um you have michael gammon who uh was pre dumbledore at this point um martin landau's in the uh prelude the uh the prelude the, the opening of the movie which i i have to say this is the the opening sequence of this movie probably has some of my absolute favorite uh danny elfman music Yes. Um, that he's ever written. And I love this score. I always have loved this score. And that introduction in particular is just wonderful. Yes. Um, he he just absolutely captures that moment perfectly. And it's just really it 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 really it goes 
it ties into what the production designer, the art director, the camera people, or the the costume, and then um, Chivo, Emmanuel Lubezki, who's now a three-time Oscar winner. Uh, th- this was, I think, the first one of the first times I really recognized his name. And um, he he just does wonderful work with uh, Burton in this film as far as shooting this movie. And I love the fact that one of the things I really appreciate about this movie is that it really does kind of feel... It's something where I feel like you can kind of tell that it's done on sets. And I yeah. I like that. You know, it it's, it's, it's kind of weird to describe that because of the fact that it's like... If you feel like it is very much on sets, it kind of takes you out of the movie. Here, I feel like it takes you into the movie. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Burton perfected that. Just, I mean, he shot this in London, I think on the same stage as he did the Batman movies on. And I think yeah. what he does, you know you're on a set. They're all beautifully produced sets, whether it's Gotham City or, or you know, the woods of uh, upstate New York. But right. It, it, does, it doesn't take you out of it as in like, oh, look, there's a set. It's clearly a set. It sort of is like, oh my God, we're in this this creative world that likes that likes between the, the cinematography and the music and the performances. It, you know, you're on a set, but you know that like you're kind of like enveloped in it, as opposed to like, oh, I can see the stitches and the yeah, you know, yeah, and um, and Miranda Richardson is uh, is fantastic in this. Jeffrey Jones has some really good moments in it, and um. You know, Miranda Richardson, like this, this was one of the first things I re- remember seeing her in. I mean, she she's made an impression in a bunch of other movies. I mean, you know, she, uh, Cronenberg's Spider a couple of years later was a great sure. example of her. Um, she was also in Harry Potter. I mean, I mean, it's funny because a lot of these actors either went on to be in Harry Potter or they went on to be in Lord of the Rings. And, uh, yeah. I mean, even the who's who of, of English talent. Yeah. Absolutely... Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a way, that's one of the things that's really great about the uh, way that because of the people that he's gotten to populate this universe, even Christopher Walken, I mean, he, you feel once you, once you see Christopher Walken and the flashbacks as the headless horseman, it gives the character even more menace because you imagine that ferocity of Walken's performance in those flashbacks. Yeah. And I, I will say it's, it's funny because of the fact that all, when I watched it this morning, because this, I, I didn't get to rewatch it until this morning. It it occurred to me that, um, Depp and Walken had been in, uh, really cheesy 90s thriller called Nick of Time together. And so this is kind of a reunion of those two actors. And it's like, oh, God. wow, I'd forgotten about that. That is weird. Yeah. Um, but I I love the, the affection that this movie and that Burton in this movie has for the old hammer horror films and even the universal horror films, like the ending at the, uh, at the windmill reminds me of the original Frankenstein. Yeah. The climax of the original Frankenstein. I mean, I, I love, you know, it's like we, 
we talked about earlier how he really this really is kind of the uh only pure horror film that he's ever done and i mean you you had that quote of him that like horror really scares him and so it's like that's probably why he hasn't he he takes the gothic nature of it into his films but at the same time he doesn't really follow through with any like real horror movies um but he's he's really it really does kind of make me wish that maybe something else could come along that might get him to make a horror movie because I I think he'd be really capable of doing a terrific one. Yeah, I mean I think it's tricky because I feel like his his approach to horror even in other films he's done that have had like whether they're you know the witch and big fish or yeah even if you even if you go back to um you know Pee Wee's uh, big adventure the large Marge bit yeah he's he's very much a like ghost story around the campfire boo horror mm-hmm. and i don't know if his wheelhouse he could do a sustained like dread you know like i mean there's a yeah. great scene there's a great sequence with a little kid you know hiding out and watching his parents be slaughtered by mm-hmm. the headless hawk. And, you know but i still don't know that he could do you know I'd, I'd be i'd be definitely game to watch him try because i think it'd be a great break from what he's doing now but i always have the sense that he's a lot more capable and comfortable in a sort of like right you know yeah macabre kind of like boo world of like of, of weirdness and goth and like crazy that he that he is in like a a, a structured world of like yeah terrible happening kind of stuff yeah, I mean, and even even some of his, I mean, even even the other like movies that he's done that are sort of remotely close to like horror. If you look at Sweeney Todd, which is first and foremost a musical, so you have that part of the narrative that's playing next to the horror elements of the narrative, and then you have Dark Shadows, which becomes almost a comedy to a certain extent and play much very much plays as sort of a family comedy um yeah i mean it you you are right about that it's like the yeah the idea of him doing sort of a very sustained uh you know dread because i mean even this is even this is diffused by humor times and i mean that's that that's always kind of can be the case and it's there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, I think, you know, humor in humor deployed right in a horror movie looks a lot like this because yeah. of the fact that it's, it's a release from the tension that you're supposed to be feeling in the movie. And sure. I, but the thing is, it's like, I really like the tension that uh, Tim Burton bring sustains in this movie. It's really quite effective. Yeah. And, and, I, and I really do love, like, I think, you know, we were talking about how it's sort of, science versus mystics but i do really like a good detective story and in yeah. many ways you know i've always i i'm curious what matt reeves is going to do with this new batman because I, I keep reading that it's going to show him as a detective yeah and one of the i think they've never really done and like it's hard because you know you got to do an action film and sort of you got maybe 120 minutes to, to do your batman story yeah uh but like as a, as a as a mystery as a detective movie and i think you know watching him approach it like a detective succumb to the idea that this is bigger and more supernatural than he's than he knows about the world but then sort of break that down as a mystery and scientifically and find out what else is going on i think is, is what mm-hmm. really 
what makes the film elevated for me too and really really brought me into it oh yeah and and that's that's one of the things that ultimately makes the film uh as successful as it is because of the fact that it gets both of those it gets the the mystery of the headless horseman trying to suss out the headless horseman tied into the mystery of the town and all these things that um, are going on in the town. And it's all that is just, it's, it's just triggered by one character saying, Oh, there are five victims in four graves. And it's like, and you kind of, at the time you kind of get the impression of, Oh, okay. I, I, I think I know where they're going with it. And then as, it it on it can continues to unfold and unfold, and then the way they bring the two together is just really effective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just sort of it really helps propel the story forward and bring you in beyond. Uh, the, and, and what's great is instead of the headless horseman bits and the kills getting like repetitive and, and whatever, it, it sort of it's a nice break from each part of it. You know, like whenever it starts to get a little too weedy, you've got a great little. Uh, scene you know with the horseman yeah um so when when did you see this in theaters in 1999 i definitely went opening weekend i was really i was when i when i when i heard that the guy who wrote seven was teaming with tim burton to do a headless horseman movie with johnny depp i was like i need to know yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i definitely i was and i I, as, as, as much as i was anticipating it i was actually really blown away by how much i enjoyed it and how much of it was not what I was really expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, I think I was very, it, it's funny because I think I was kind of lukewarm on Burton when this came out. And like you, I saw it opening weekend. And it's funny because I, if I remember correctly, this was a Thanksgiving release. Yeah. If I remember yeah. correctly, it was a Thanksgiving w- release, which was always hilarious to me that it's like, Oh hey, we're gonna do a horror movie for you, but at yeah. the same time, I mean it. You know, now obviously Thanksgiving releases don't look like this. Thanksgiving the the release windows don't necessarily look like the way they did in even twenty years ago. I mean, I think we 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 might have. I don't know if you and I touched on it, but I mean we. One of the things I noticed this year, as far as 1999, like there really aren't a whole lot of big action blockbusters throughout the year. There and there certainly weren't a lot that really populated the summer like they do now. No, no, and and what's weird is I, now 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 that I'm thinking of that Thanksgiving weekend and this being like kind of like a weird placement for it and being like a kind of action horror hybrid. I don't know if it came out the same weekend as competition, but I remember being really wanting to see this film. And a friend of mine was like, no, 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 no. The one that's going to be good is Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting the devil in End of Days, which I think either came out it, the week before or the week after. They both came out around the same time, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, which is, which is, again, weird that these two competing, you know, and everyone, if you, I think if you rolled the dice uh, or had asked somebody a few months prior, like Arnold Schwarzenegger having taken a break yeah. from acting, for like a year or two, coming back in his first like horror film, maybe since like The Predator, you know, fighting yeah. the devil, that would be a huge thing, and that did not do very well. Not no. hard no. this film, film was, but they, they both came out within a week of each other. Mm-hmm. No, and and I mean, it 
wasn't a very good movie either. I mean, that, <laughs> like we we did a friend of mine and I did uh, End of Days earlier this year, and yeah, it's not a good movie <laughs> at all. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, this was about those were both about the same time, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this was definitely. It's funny because of the fact that. Like this was this was actually a decent hit. It made over hundred million at the box office. So I mean, it was reasonably successful. And uh, that's the the thing that kind of um, is kind of remarkable about this is um, it is it it's still kind of one. I mean, he's had bigger hits since then, but it's still kind of one of the biggest hits of Tim Burton's career. Like. I mean- it's also one of the ones that was both a big hit and also a critically successful film too, where I mean, yeah. he's had them, but of the films, especially in his later period, like he's either had one or the other. Like I think, I yeah. think the last people were really maybe, maybe Sweeney Todd or big fish, but those films didn't quite set the box office ablaze. And then he's had films that have done, you know, I think the Charlie and the chocolate factory movie made money. It's mother of those Burton remakes have done fairly well business, but like some of them have just been like, yeah, like, like who? Any, anyone could have done it too. Like it feels like we've gotten to the point where it's not just Tim Burton doing a Tim Burton cover of Dark Shadows. It's somebody doing a cover of Tim Burton doing a cover. Of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. so weird. Well, and that's the thing. Like I'm, and one of the other ones that you know we didn't talk about was Alice in Wonderland, which was the biggest one. Where it's like it, it got a tr- critical drubbing, and rightfully so. It's not a very good movie. But yeah. it it made a billion dollars. I mean, it's yeah. it's it really was one of the movies that started this live action remake from run of Disney, and which Tim Burton has gone back to with Dumbo, which is it's you know it it has the Tim Burton elements of it, and you you see the Tim Burton in it, but at the same time, it's it you you also see. You know, you see the good parts of Tim Burton in it. You also see the bad parts of Tim Burton in it. And, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, if he had done that, if he had done that film, right after Sleepy Hollow, I think you would have gotten a lot more of the yeah. Tim Burton of, of where he was at the in between. But I think, I think he has sort of just, and you know, part of it is also, I think, age. You look at, it's very interesting. You look at, you know, you're reviewing the year of '99 and. The amount of filmmakers, new, crazy, breathtaking filmmakers that are now have been around for a bit in 2019, 20 years, 30. And yeah. then other filmmakers, you've had, you know, 99 also has Scorsese, it has Tim Burton, it has people that have been around still kind of, you know, energized and doing their thing. Yeah. But now have kind of also, you know, as you get older, as you get less hungry, as you've also sort of pushed the limit very far, I think you kind of just. You just don't ha- you don't have it the same way, or you just have to have the right project or or spark of inspiration to to not just do a good job, but to really sort of do what you did when you were younger and hadn't done anything yet, you know? Right, and and it's weird because of the fact that like as as big and as exciting as this year was creatively speaking, it's also one of I, I it also I can't help but feel like it's also one of the last ones where even if those movies failed that was perfectly acceptable like because of the fact that those movies stayed on you know in the early 21st century or in the early 2000s you had the 
you started to see the uh, rise of Marvel with X-Men, Spider-Man, you had Harry Potter, you had Lord of the Rings, and you had these really big swings in franchises to where now something, now the, the goalpost, now like the, the, the goalposts have been moved to slightly, you know, to, to more ambitious financial risks, which, you know, in, in those cases of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and the Marvel movies ended up leading to big financial rewards towards something like this, which is still reasonably mid-level. The middle movies of that Burton made in Sleepy Hollow, that Scorsese made in Bring Out the Dead, they don't really hold as much they're not really as interested in them on the studio level. No, and you would have to make you would have to make a Sleepy Hollow if it was made today that could sustain. It would have to be part one of a trilogy at minimum. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, just do like even even if they could have been like even if they left it open, where like hypothetically if the film made enough money in Burnham's Game, even though he doesn't really do many sequels, uh, to come back and do a follow-up, you know, of that town or whatever, which yeah. you could do. I, I, it was not designed that way in any way, whereas now you could only make that movie if it not only would gross what it needed to gross, but also it's just a, it's just the changing of the times, but also a, a snapshot of that particular period, how you could do something like that and make it and have it be successful just for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, and the thing is, it's like, it's, it's a shame, you know, it's like, I, I, I sort of was lamenting a little bit earlier about the sort of lack of really original projects that Burton has had, you know, and especially over the past 20 years. I mean, you look at Big Fish, which Grant is an adaptation of a book, but it's still, but it's still not, it's, it's a book that, you know, at this point, like, is a novel really something that people are aware of compared to, you know, a movie property like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory yes. or Planet of the Apes or something like that. Big Fish, you, you're right. I mean, it is still kind of original, even if it's not completely original. I mean, the same can be said about Ed Wood, where it's like, yeah, it's based on a real person's life, but it's still got that signature that made Tim Burton so special. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and the thing is, I do think, you know, and certainly Burton has tried to adapt by that and tried to build a career out of that. I mean, I, I think it's, I, it's been difficult for him because of the fact that, um, he, he just, the, like we said, the landscape is different. And it's like, you know, you, you think about the, uh, the career that you think about what he did with regards to the Batman movies. And it's like, to a certain extent, like that was, that was an example of him being able to work within the studio system for the sake of franchises while also getting his personal vision. But at yeah. the same time, you look at what happened on after Batman Returns was not quite as well received as the first Batman. It's like Warren Brothers got cold feet, and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. We we've got yeah. to we've got push we've got to pull something back here, and 
you know, we 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 know what happened to that franchise after uh, Batman Returns. Yeah, yeah, and he, I think he he went through hell, and that that also might be why, you know, his films have sort of been uh, the path of least resistance because I feel like part of him is also like he just he's an artist who just wants to of, of, like he just really just wants to be left alone to create, and mm-hmm. in some way he figures if I do, I can maybe just you know, sustain financially and create weird stuff, like just create play with clay as long as I do it in the sandbox and I don't really want to fight a system that I know that I can't fight anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um did you did you uh before we before we wrap this up, did you have anything more that you wanted to uh say about Sleepy Hollow? Um no, I mean, I, I again, I, I watched it uh, again, and I remember, I remember when I first saw it, I remember thinking that it would be a PG thirteen kind of fun. You know, I was curious what Burton's take would be on it, how spooky and like how like gothic and weird be, and I was, I was interested to see, you know, all the cameos he put in it. I did not expect it to be as gory and violent. Yeah. And even, I mean, like, even for that time period, it wasn't like insanely gory and violent. And I, I'm not sure if it got an R rating or not. It but did. There is, it did. Oh yeah. So I mean, there was there was gore in it that I was really not expecting. Much like you watch a Hammer film and you you thought they were just sort of the British version of the Universal horror films, and they they would push the limits of like you know sex and and, and horror and blood and stuff. Yeah. Um, and and but also there's some there's some very like you know you watch Batman Returns for instance, or even the original Batman, but particularly Returns. There's some real mean like angry dark cynical bits in there where you're like wow it's tim burton going through some stuff you know and uh with this film as as as, as much of a love letter as it is to to horror and it's mystical and like you know it's, it, there, there's a lot of that light in it there there's some there's some darkness that is uh that is very strange and i wonder if that was something that because again like the, the script was written by andrew kevin walker it was originally going to be uh walker wrote with Jaeger to direct and it was supposed to be more of like a seven-ish kind of like almost a straight low budget slasher. And I wonder how much of it, you know, I know got I know a lot of it got changed, opened up more of the story and the people than a straight up slasher, but mm-hmm. how much of it is intractable from the fact that the main character is someone who collects heads. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you've got you know, you're gonna have you know you're gonna have some decapitations, but you don't expect to see them as viscerally as brutally and even even the ones you don't see as violently like there's a there's a shot of one character where he's just you don't expect that person's going to lose their head i think it's a small child and you just see him putting something in the sack yeah after the, yeah which is great i mean that to me is like that is and that is terrifying because you, mm. you you did all the, the work after that so there were things like that that i just wasn't expecting right when i really enjoyed yeah and i mean to to think about this as sort of like a lower budget slasher is really kind of interesting. I I do kind of want to see that take now of it. And I mean, who knows? It's 20 years. Maybe somebody will actually do that. Um, But at the same time, I would have liked to have seen Jaeger and Andrew Kevin Walker do that version. Um, You know, but at the same time, I I love what I, I think the addition of Burton, I mean, brings his personal vision into it. And to a certain extent, it's like, and this was executive produced by Francis Ford Coppola as well, um, and Scott Rudin. So, I mean, you know, some couple pretty big uh, players. So, I mean, it's got some prestige to it. And I think this won some, uh, I think it won a 
one or two uh, technical Oscars for like production design and stuff like that too, if I remember yeah. correctly. Correction in costumes, I think. Yeah, I mean it deserved to because it looks absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. Um, but yeah, this 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 you know it's funny. This was a really interesting year for horror because th- during the summer you had the Blair Witch Project, which had a successful run after Sundance. And then you had the sixth sense, which just came out of nowhere. Sure. And, um, you know, this, this movie is really like the third of that, uh, sort of triumvirate of really successful, um, horror movies. And they couldn't be more different each one of them. And that's one of the, and that's something that's really fascinating about this. And one of the things that's so exciting about this year because of the fact that you had different filmmakers. I mean, those two were by newcomers, relative newcomers, and Tim Burton was certainly, you know, more of a seasoned pro compared to some of the filmmakers from this year. And you had him working on such a high level to make probably one of the more entertaining movies of the year. Yeah, and and, and you also had it following. I mean, I think one of the things that was on my mind, also it's 99, was this, he threaded the needle that, you know, they couldn't do with The Haunting. Yeah. Which is which was another an adaptation, sort of a mixture of, like, big blockbuster action summer <laughs> yes. horror film. And everything that is right that works in Sleepy Hollow just fell like a wet fart in, in that film. Yeah. It, it, it avoided all the trappings that that film fell into by doing different stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I I was so disappointed in The Haunting when it came out. Like, I was really looking forward to it because I liked the cast. It was sure. Jan DeBond doing something different than, like, action. But at the same time, it's also kind of confirmation that, well, maybe Jan DeBond shouldn't be doing anything other than action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, uh, Sleepy Hollow basically kind of avoided a lot of the traps that the haunting fell into and um it's it's something but i think the thing that i always take out from this experience of uh watching sleepy hollow is 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 just the experience of watching sleepy hollow watching a movie where the the images just really kind of sear into your brain whether it's just simply the look of the town of sleepy hollow the, the way Christopher Walken looks with his head, as well as the way the headless horse and horseman goes about his business in this movie. And it's really just a striking piece of work. It's, it is truly like, it, it is truly, I think, one of the most exciting pieces of filmmaking that Tim Burton's ever done. And it's, it's something that, you know, and I think that's part of why I kind of would like to see him return to horror in this type of brute force way, because I want to see if he's got anything else in there. If he doesn't, that's fine. But I I want to see him do something that seems to really mean something to him again. And I haven't really felt that for a while with a Burton yeah. film. Yeah, I think he, he just needs the right project to sort of unleash that. Yeah. But, David, thank you very much for uh, joining me today, as well as um, throughout the year. We've we've discussed a few pretty big movies. I mean, all three of the movies we'd 
discussed were among the more successful ones of the year. Um, and and it's it's a really interesting conversation to have when it comes to when you you look at the movies that did really well this year. It's such a wide variety, and yeah. I mean even the Matrix, Sleepy Hollow, and the Mummy are three very different, um, very different types of movies, but they all have one thing in common where it's like they're big budget attempts to entertain the audience. And even if I don't necessarily think some of them work more than others, it's really interesting to see the ways different filmmakers approach that subject this year. Yeah, I agree. It's a crazy year, man. But yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, always. I'd like to thank David Spoutro for joining me today. Uh, it's really, it was really great to talk to him about these movies, and uh, th- this was his final episode of the Class of 1999 series. I definitely want to have him. Um, I definitely want to have him on to uh, discuss movies in general, not just his own, but. Uh, just movies in particular because of the fact that I've really enjoyed talking to the filmmakers I've gotten to talk to this year about these movies, and that's really a fun conversation. In addition to the uh, horror episodes of the podcast that you're going to get, and there's one more that I haven't uh, recorded yet, but I do hope to by the end of October. (laughs) Thank you.